0: What I wanted to ask you is that there's something special about the ends of the, the resurrection appearance in both Mark and Matthew. What Jesus says when he notices that some doubted in both Gospels is repeated is just get on with it, go and love people. He doesn't appear to have any truck with our doubts. What Jack Spong said to us is about enabling people to love effectively and effusively and wonderfully and go and do it rather than worry about what's going on in your head.
1: I don't don't entirely disagree with that uh, other than to point out that actually the resurrection, the appearance in Mark's Gospel... Very, very few New Testament scholars would think was part of the original gospel. I mean, they just don't think that. They think it, it's in the style of language and everything. It's a very. Good... But you're right. In the, the, the notion which Swong himself says that we should just get on and, and love people and believe that we are contributing to the reality of God in the world by doing that, I don't disagree with that at all. And I can't say that I spend an enormous amount of my time worrying about what happens when I die, but it was just that in the process of doing this and talking to a lot of friends of mine, many of whom say, this is just incredible, I can't believe that, and if you want me to be a Christian, I can't believe that. I have to take them seriously, yeah. and that's where I think I'm coming from, that I think their doubts have actually got a pretty good basis, really. Do you think a more radical approach in church
2: and more open discussion... Would lead to an increase in the congregation? Or is that just a a myth?
1: My experience of preaching vaguely liberal things over the years is for every person who's been upset by my liberalism, there are half a dozen people who are mightily relieved. So my guess is that if the church was more honest about all of these questions, not just resurrection, but all the other things that we've talked about today, I would suddenly think this is an organization worth engaging with. Uh, Even if I don't agree with everything, at least I realize they're taking the the debate seriously. And my fear about, uh, I speak as an Anglican, so I'm thinking of the Church of England at the moment, my fear at the moment about the Church of England is that that debate doesn't happen, and therefore we are driving people away. A friend of mine says, you know, the people who've left have on the whole left in a box. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's people who have died and are not being replaced by new people. If we're ever going to really start to engage with lots of younger people, I think we've got to show that we are much more open to genuine debate than we have so, shown so far. Jack Dean of High Wycombe.
0: In our search for the historical Jesus, do we place too much importance on Paul's letters? He talks of the empty tomb, which he could never have seen. We talk of the appearances before his own. He has no evidence for that. He talks of the
1: Last Supper, and when we have the institution of the Lord's Supper, we often hear these words... Uh, Paul says, I received this from the Lord himself, whom he never met. Do you think that Christianity is built too much upon the the they take on Jesus of Paul and not on Jesus himself? Uh, John, John Baker, who I um, mentioned towards the end of my lecture, who was Bishop of Salisbury, he said at one stage that Christianity was not what Jesus taught, but it was what the church came to believe about Jesus after he died. I think there's an element of truth in that, but it's not the whole truth. I still think actually a lot of Christians take whatever we know about Jesus from the gospels very seriously. So I wouldn't want to go completely down the road that John Baker goes down. In terms of what Paul said about Jesus, he doesn't actually talk about the empty tomb. There's nothing about the empty tomb in Paul. What he says about Jesus and the appearances, he says he, it does seem as though after he was converted, he did go and meet the leadership of the church in Jerusalem. And presumably they told him various things. Goodness knows exactly what they told him. But they must have told him some things. And I think some of the, what we hear about in St. Paul's letters are his version of what he was told by the leadership of the church at that stage. So it's, it's very interesting. Is it absolutely accurate? Goodness only knows. I don't think we know, but then I don't think we know that about the gospel stories either. There's a degree of uncertainty about the truth of
0: everything, you know, which we can't get away from. The testimony is to the power of resurrection and I wonder about the relationship to the testimony to transformation of the spirit working within all creation all humanity all the time in every circumstance the, the stories of creation tell of the spirit moving within chaos and within darkness to form and to create that there is a testimony to an eternal spirit um, mysterious, moving, and that, in a sense, the, the, the calling, the vocation, is to is to yield and into the unimaginable that lies beyond, and that somehow our willingness to die, in a sense, is an act of trust that we all die, and that within that dying, the unimaginable, I'm not quite sure what I'm saying to you, but I, I wonder about to what sense we're talking not simply how do we solve problems of stories, but, but for me the primal testament to God is of a, of a mysterious, eternal, being within everything, within all time, all eternity, all creation, the dying and the rising, and I, it seems to me that Romans 8 seems to be making that testimony. If I look back on my life and ministry, I, it's about yielding and being drawn into them, I think, I, that's all I can say.
1: I think that's what Jack Spong is trying to indicate in his book Eternal Life, A New Perspective, or whatever he calls it. Uh, I think he is saying that we have to live our life in response to God. We have to allow the reality of God to really influence the way in which we treat people and the way we react to the world and all the rest of it. That that's a very, very creative way of living. It makes a difference to the sort of people we are. And I think that's what he means by believing in resurrection. He then goes on and says this stuff about, um, you know, when you die, are you still alive? Yes, 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 is what he says, which I'm, I'm not so sure about, but I'm not so sure about it because of what neuroscience says, really. I mean, there's a very interesting book about Christian hope by somebody called John Macquarie, who was a professor in Oxford who died a few years ago. And John Mulcorrie wrote this book in 1978, and he, he clearly thought that it was very difficult to believe that there could be any continued consciousness once the brain had ended. But he did think there was a very interesting clue in the story that lots of people tell if they, they've had a near-death experience, like when they have drowned or something, or nearly drowned, that the whole of their life went in front of them. And he said what he thinks is realistic to believe is that we we view things that have happened to us in the past in a different light from the way we viewed them at the time. And that once we view them all from the perspective of eternity and God, we might then look at those things in a completely transformed way, in the way you're saying. So I don't... And he's not saying then when we die, we, we, we retain that consciousness forever. But that we do have the chance of maybe seeing ourselves, as it were, from the perspective of eternity. I think there's quite an interesting thought in that. But if it means, does my consciousness continue in some way after death, I find that very difficult to see how that could possibly be the case. But maybe I'm just wrong. <laughs>
2: Sorry, I'm another man. Uh, Chris Avis, Southern Hay, Exeter.
1: And I'm sorry I'm not Jack Spong. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, I prefer you the way you are. <laughs> Thank you very much, Bob, for your detailed enlarging of Jack's ideas for me. If I could ask a more general question, not specifically related to life after death, if there is a, a living active future for the church, do you think that that would be helped or will be helped by the realisation and acceptance that God has been created by us and not the other way around?
1: Well what i said in the questions after the previous lecture about god being that place in my consciousness where the claims of truth beauty and goodness meet i don't think the commitment to truth is something that i create i think it's something i receive from the very structure of the universe itself as well so i'm not sure that i think it's it's holy it's certainly not my creation whether it's humanity's creation and the whole of humans have, um, have as it were, created God in an image that makes, makes the whole thing real, maybe. I don't know. I wouldn't myself put it like that, but I can quite understand that other people do put it like that. And that doesn't stop me thinking these are perfectly welcome, if they wish to be, to be members of the church. Because fine, that, that can be one way of interpreting the thing. I think I do believe that the notion of God is rooted in something beyond human beings. But if you, ask, if you ask the question, how does anything exist without there being a material element to it, what is the material element in which God exists, part of the answer to that must be the human mind. I mean, it may be more than the human mind. You could say the whole universe is God's body, if you want to look at it like that. I know. It's not language I would normally use, but it is one way of thinking about what you mean by God. But the very fact that the, 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 the idea of God is such a powerful idea in so many people's minds does seem to me to be part of how I approach the question of God. Whether that's the sum total of it, I don't know. <laughs>
0: George Drake from Coventry, just a quickie. Uh, Jesus said that we should love one another, but he also said, unless you hate your father and mother, you can't follow me. Could you comment, please?
1: <laughs> well, I wasn't there at the time. <laughs> I mean, you would have to look at the consciousness of, you know, what was happening at the moment when Jesus said those words, and we're not absolutely clear what, what was going on. I think probably what Jesus was talking about was the need to be single-minded about some things and to realize that there are some things that might make claims over other... I mean, we, we all face random claims in our lives, and we have to make decisions about which is the most important. I think what Jesus was saying there is that maybe the, the claim to follow God, whatever you mean by that, is more important than the claim to do you know, looking after your brother or your sister, whatever it might be, there are certain circumstances in which that becomes more important. And you have to make sacrifices in deciding what is going to be ultimately the most important things in your life. In that context, I can begin to make sense of that saying of Jesus, but I don't know enough about the exact circumstances in which it was said to know whether that's a fair interpretation or not. I mean, we've all got to try and love one another. Difficult, though, it sometimes it is with some people, yes. One of the things which Paul does write about, he talks about uh, if Christ is not resurrected, then our faith is futile, and we are still living a life in sin. So if it, there's no personal consciousness which survives death, have you not somehow reduce Christianity to something which no
2: longer makes sense for anyone, or reduces something to something which is indeed futile?
1: I hope not, because, because I think, I mean, I, I don't disagree that if the resurrection provides a way of living that is incredibly important. And the way of living that is incredibly important is to say that all that Jesus was, and all that he stood for, and all that he achieved, as it were, through his life and through his death. I agree with Jack Spawn that thinking substitutory atonement is not a very helpful way of thinking about that, but that's another story altogether. But that Jesus is still an immensely powerful inspiration for how we should live our lives. And I believe that. And that's what I mean by believing in the resurrection. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then we are all meant to be pitied. Yeah, because if, if that isn't true, if it really was the case, well, okay, he was a great bloke, he did a great deal, but he's dead, and we can forget all about him. That isn't what I believe, and that isn't how I want to live my life, because I think my, I want to live my life in some way in response to this, this person, Jesus. So to that extent, that's what I mean by saying I really do believe in the resurrection. I don't know exactly what it was that happened, and I don't know exactly what will happen to me when I die, though I think maybe nothing. But the memory of me will carry on, and that might in some way convey a, a way of understanding Christianity that might make sense to other people, and that's what we all do. So I hope I'm contributing to the future, possibly even after I die, because we all help build the world of the future through what we are in our lives. And that's what makes sense to me, and is important to me. Christianity should play its part in assisting and supporting Islam, not least of all in providing a hospitable environment in this country where Muslims can feel at home and their individuals can be cared for. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And one of the things that I was involved in some years ago was, was taking a mixed group of Muslims, Christians and Jews to Northern Ireland to go and look at the peace process that had happened in Northern Ireland and how the, the relationship of, of Catholics and Protestants had changed quite a lot. It hasn't changed perfectly at all, but there is a big change going on there. And then trying to say, how do you learn those lessons? And this is what we were asking ourselves, this mixed group. How do you learn those lessons for what happens between the Palestinians and the Israelis? And if there was any one thing I think I might have achieved through that particular exercise, it was to hear a pretty strict Orthodox rabbi come back from that visit and say, now I know you've got to talk to the enemy. And that was a great step forward, you know. So if we can find creative ways in building constructive relationships with Islam so that we can physically assist when people are hungry, uh, but also emotionally exist to create a good atmosphere with the world of Islam, I think that would be a very important... That is a very important thing to do, and it's something that I've, in a very modest way, been involved in. Thank you Bob. Thank you. Um, I'm going to invite the Reverend Dr. Neil Johnson who is our minister here to close our day.
2: Thank you. This morning we heard Jack Spong say on the screen that rigor mortis is too lively a word to describe what's happening in the church. Well if you're feeling stiff the reason is that you've been sitting too long and not because of the lack of intellectual stimulation today. So I'm here to give some thanks. If he was here, I would thank Jack Spong for offering us a different lens, a different lens for us to read the Gospels, a lens that reveals the Jewish imprint on the Jesus story. And without that understanding, it can lead to what he describes as the Gentile heresy of literal misinterpretation. I want to give thanks to Bob for sharing his scepticism with us, drawing on science and biblical criticism, philosophy and theology, an approach that helps us reconstruct Christianity, which is faithful to the pursuit of the meaning of truth. Thank you. I want to thank Julie for her dogged determination that this day was going to happen come what may. (laughs) We've heard it said on several occasions during the course of today that there is a growing gap between the thinking of the academy and the pew. So I say to you, I say to us, let's go forth and share what we have learned today with others. And the final words, echoing Jack Spong. Let us live fully, love wastefully, and be entirely. So thank you and go well.